Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Before we begin today's podcast, I'd like to give you this disclaimer. No names have been changed. All the facts that back up the story that I'm about to tell are entirely true. And by whose accounting? Mine. It's primary source. Nothing is embellished. Nothing is distorted. Everything is as accurate as I could possibly provide. Accuracy. So... We kind of rescued this dog, and uh, we did indeed rescue the dog. He was wandering up and down the alleyway behind our home. It was the middle of winter. I believe it was like January, maybe not exactly the middle of winter, but it certainly was January. The beginning, maybe first few weeks of real winter, and it was cold. It was below zero. And the dog had no collar on, uh, C-O-L-L-A-R, no identifying uh, sort of tags, any ways that we could find the owner of the dog. But one thing was for sure, the dog had gotten lost. The dog was not going to survive. The only reason that we found the dog was luck and chance and the fact that we were walking our dog in the morning and... uh, That was probably the only reason, too, that the dog (laughs) that we rescued was uh, at all capable of finding us. Uh, I think he had some compromised vision as well as uh, ability to uh, know where he was at and what was going on. And he was in trauma and shock, not knowing how long he had spent out there. I do believe that we saw evidence of frostbite. So... It may not have been a long time, but it was certainly sufficient time for him to have a not only physical shock, but probably a psychological shock to go with it. And the dog was older. (laughs) So we took the dog in. And why wouldn't we? It has been a wonderful dog. It has been. He's been with us for several years now. We took him to the vet. He overcame his frostbite. He overcame his PTSD. He overcame the physical trauma. We were never able to identify, obviously, the owner of the dog. Uh, But he's a wonderful dog. And uh, I think we all consider him to be a gift. And in that, he's pretty submissive. we have another dog, a little younger, who <laughs> had been at the house quite a bit longer, and though not male, she had been neutered, and even so, still kind of ran the house. Um, I was the alpha dog, as they used to call it. Now there's questions about whether that's true or not. I think people are starting to re. re- think, reconsider that whole theory of social order of dogs and then the general application of that to people, humans. But for the purposes of our podcast and anything that I might know to date, I was the alpha male or alpha dog in that, uh, in our family constellation and am still as far as the dog's concerned, the female dog and the male. But nobody else really thinks that way, just as a little bit of a sign. But to make the point, 
it was surprising because she dominated this older dog, this male dog, who, by the way, wasn't neutered. <laughs> and in that, then did everything that pretty much she would allow him to. And once more, he fit in perfectly with her home, the whole social situation. Everybody loves the dog. I don't know that the first dog, our first dog, loves him so much, the female dog. But at this point, he's company. And so it's better than being alone, and that's part of the reason we decided to keep him. Chasing, however, the point down. The one thing that my wife and Grace, who is the female dog, has in common, and probably the only thing to the discredit of Ted, who is the uh, older male dog, unneutered, is that any chance he gets to uh, engage in some sort of sexual behavior with Grace, he's going to try. Now, he's beyond... The years of performance, I don't know if he was a dog they used to breed dogs with. He seems to have a bit of a routine. Uh, maybe dog owners know this is probably quite normal, and this is just what they take advantage of if they happen to be breeders. But anytime he gets a chance, and most often that's when <laughs> I'm around, my wife's around, and he could sneak. And uh, Grace is not going to be too terribly offended. He'll do that. And my wife is offended, so she doesn't let that happen. I don't allow that to happen, but I'm probably a bit more sympathetic to that as he's a male dog, and certainly I'm a guy. Uh, And with that then, I don't allow him to do that, but I'm not going to yell at him like my wife does when he does that. Oh, how disgusting, how terrible, stop that, stop that. Well, he's a dog, and he's a guy dog, and he's got instincts. Psychology Today, March, April of 2023. Is infidelity contagious? Frequent exposure to others' cheating could make someone more likely to stray. Most people who enter into monogamous relationships do so with every intent of staying faithful. Yet, new research conducted by my co-authors and me suggests that some surprising factors may push partners toward infidelity, including spending time around others who see cheating as acceptable. In our study published in the journal Archives of Sexual Behavior, we exposed romantically involved participants to others' cheating behavior, then tracked their responses as they thought about or interacted with attractive people. In some studies, participants were exposed only to romantic cheating. In others, they learned about people who behaved unethically in other domains such as a college student who plagiarized essays. Participants who were exposed to others' romantic infidelity reported less commitment to their current relationship and expressed greater desire for alternative partners than did participants who were exposed to other kinds of cheating. This suggests that being frequently exposed to infidelity, not just unethical behavior in general, might lessen someone's motivation to protect their bond with their current partner. 
In other words, such environments may make people more vulnerable to being metaphorically infected with infidelity. It is possible then for someone to inoculate themselves against these effects. Other research I've co-authored has found that deliberately considering your partner's perspective when you're faced with attractive others can help minimize the desire to stay, or excuse me, to stray, not stay, but stray. And additional studies have found that committing to a moral code and reminding yourself of the negative emotional consequences of breaking it could help you stick to your values when temptation raises its head. Gurit Bernabom, Ph.D., is the author, is infidelity contagious, frequent exposure to others cheating, could make someone more likely to stray. Well, (laughs) obviously, Ted does not have really much of a culture of infidelity or indiscretion on the part of either Grace, my other dog, female dog, my wife, and then probably a little bit with more tolerance in mind, even myself. And if I'm not there, or as soon as I would leave, Grace would put him, Ted, in his place quick enough. So to me... It kind of has to begin with, well, maybe Ted was, (laughs) from birth, going to uh, be destined to breeding. And with that, then, having multiple sexual partners and infidelity in that sort of way, not monogamous in no ways. And so maybe it's just a learned response. Maybe there's a social or psychosocial, even within dogs, kind of element uh, that whole alpha dog thing I mentioned earlier, not really, but goes along that line that there is a social order and a hierarchy to things. And maybe we could explain it that way, just as the article kind of captures, it seems the presumption would be ethics and virtue and um, character would predominate or would be the primary. I don't think that's true. I think that the only thing that separates us from Ted, uh, any of us from Ted, animals, or grace, would be that we have virtue, we have character, we have ethics, and thus we have some sort of morality. And then, (laughs) that is a psychosocial, it's a social, psychological, psychosocial construct, That causes us to not be like all the other animals, which presumably, presumably, without, again, some dominant submissive sort of element that might supersede that. I don't know how ratio-wise powerful that would have to be, though, to override Ted's sex drive. If he were a bit more spry, maybe a bit younger, he may persist a bit longer, and Grace would have, by now, have fallen to his uh, sway persuasion. But he's not. And so that itself captures the reality. There's multiple factors. But biological drive, animals, marginal ethics, morals aligned with possibly this dominant submission thing, even dogs, pack animals, so to speak, Maybe not all animals, but we're using canines as the example in today's podcast. A lot of 
ethics, a lot of morality, a lot of virtue and character, a lot of societal sort of beliefs are predicated upon that kind of putting together of all these factors. But if you were to remove all of those factors, I think we'd all be like dogs. <laughs> Maybe worse. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. They call it comparative animal psychology. At least they did in the day when I was studying it in, in graduate school. But it's just taking animal behavior and that includes instinctual behaviors and compared it to humans as animals and then kind of seeing that in light of the social constructs, the psychosocial constructs, the psychological constructs as I'm trying to also identify them on today's podcast as then likely the source of morals, values, ethics that govern our society and keep everything in somewhat order. Uh, No shaming, no guilt, or not too much shaming and guilt, but just from some position of autonomy, independence, agency, we're taught these things and we should regulate our behaviors. My wife wants Ted to regulate his behaviors. Ted's a dog. Grace, the only way, Grace is smarter instinctually. So the only way that Ted's behaviors get regulated is if she is in her alpha dominant sort of role, puts him in his place and stops it. Otherwise, Ted would have his way. And what would his way likely, most likely be? Biological, instinctual. Again, Ted is a bit blind and maybe not the smartest dog in the world, which takes nothing away from him. He's got great instincts. He's a very loving and generous and caring and loyal, all those great things that we want in dogs. But I don't know that he's got the intellectual or cognitive capacity to figure any of this out. Grace is sort of marginal toward that end. At least she recognizes me as the alpha male in the human order of things. But I don't know that that really requires much thought on Grace's part. But this article, Is Infidelity Contagious? It's probably only as contagious as we don't realize. The only thing that probably keeps infidelity in some order, rightful order, for the sake of functioning of society, and then whatever the benefits of monogamy might be, which may actually be then great and many, (laughs) much, But we're not going to know about those necessarily on the podcast because we don't have time to get into all of them. But there's a lot to be said for monogamous relationships. There's a lot to be said for family structure. There's a lot to be said for not going around sleeping with everybody. You look at that in terms of physical disease. You look at that in terms of psychological disorder. You look at that in terms of just the need for parenting, just for the sake of, again, sex roles and identity. And we already know what that's like when you start to dismantle all of those things, even if it's for a good cause and reason. It can be very challenging, and unless we have a really good plan in place, it seems like everything is at risk of falling apart to the place of can't put it back together. Enough said. But I want to go to another article in psychology today. I'm going to read a passage, and I'm going to reference it, uh, attribute it to the proper references in psychology today, and where you can find it should you want to look it up. After months of reading and compiling results... The answer was clear. There is a substantial difference and men have a much stronger sex drive than women. To be sure, there are some women who have frequent intense desires for sex and there are some men who don't. But on average, the men want it more. 
Every marker we could think of pointed to the same conclusion. Men think about sex more often than women do. Men have more sexual fantasies, and these encompass more different acts and more different partners. Now, again, the referencing of this is really important. Roy Baumeister, Ph.D., in Psychology Today, that article, actually it's a post, was posted December 8th of 2010. Now, here we are. This is 13 years later. This is after everything that's happened. Immediate to COVID, probably 2016 and on, our whole society, it seems like, has been turned upside down. We've all awakened in different ways, possibly, to different conclusions. But nonetheless, we've awakened to the reality. The only thing that keeps us from being like animals is some codified social order, some recognition of values and morals and ethics that we have considered to be the highest order of human function. And I'm very thankful that we have that capability or capacity because survival of the fittest, if it's Darwinian and it's truly in that spirit, it's going to come down to dominance over submission or submission in reference to dominance to the exclusion of somebody's genes in the gene pool. Now, does this mean that men should have that predominant or prevalent role in this? Should it be that women are oppressed by it? Should there be any sort of, in any sort of way, (laughs) meaning then that because of this primary drive we call sex, it's attached to this ultimate of all adaptive sort of functions when it comes to humans as well as animals or humans as well as being an animal and then as an animal, survival, procreation, I think what we have to say is it's calibrated. How did it get calibrated? It was very organic, if I could say it that way. It was over time. It took in biological, physiological, psychological factors. It took in not only individuals' maturity, knowledge, maybe in that operational sort of way, refinement of human higher cortical function and operations, maybe definitely Darwinian, maybe the evolution that brought humans to the point of being able to do all of this. We've come to an awareness there probably needs to be some rules attached to it. I don't know that I'd want to say that Ted is superior to Grace or that his drives are more prominent or predominant, should be considered more prominent or predominant than hers. And obviously in that case, as I gave you, it's all true. I've seen it firsthand. She dominates him. So I do not know that that necessarily means anything too much. Except you can't take the instinct out of the dog, nor can you take it out of the human. What we can do is understand it within broader sort of context. Attempt to see it more objectively and understand that the more perspectives we have, the better off we're going to be. When this article, the last one I read to you, was written in 2010, or at least posted, things were still pretty much the reality of the male sex drive. Is there anything good about men? It's still kind of very traditional within that 
male, female in particular when it comes to sex and then all the social behaviors that go along with sex and the different ages of one in their life and their sex drives change because of hormonal changes and testosterone and all of that levels and we could get into all of those factors. But in the end, we have to realize procreation is everything if it comes to survival of the species. If you can't procreate, then you are then in violation of the primary drive that brings all things to life, at least as much we know them, and specifically animals. Uh, Particularly, I suppose we could make it even more specific to mammals. My point is this, though. I, I think even with plant life, I'm not all that much of a botanist. Biological science, uh, animals, plants, um, all of that. I don't know that I want to purport myself as a, or set myself aside as an expert on all of that. But I have enough common sense and I've learned enough what I can retain or could have retained or hold on to to this point in my life to know you have to recreate. And in that, there has to be some motive or drive. And in that, then, it gets a little complicated, but you can't undo a primary drive. And I think as best as we can tell, in a simplest way that I could put it on today's podcast, the primary drive is more people, survival of the species. And then the secondary drive is the best quality of life, given that you have life, then what do you make of it? That's a really basic principle, I think, for every, should be for everything in life, but certainly for psychological counseling. Everything comes back to primary drives and the sustainability of the individual, but then also at least one couple who could then create more individuals and in that then promote <laughs> humans. And hopefully with that then have a good life. Marriages probably start that way. Most relationships that end up in marriage or significant other relationships, if you don't want to get married, monogamous, committed relationships, begin with some physical attraction. You can't undo that. You can't dismiss that. Even in 2023, even in context of this article, is infidelity contagious? I think it is contagious to this extent. If nobody's going to follow the rules or if we've gotten to a point in our being woke or awakened to the fact that all of these are constructs, which means they're not really tied to biology or physical drives except to the support of the biology or physical drive and then the ultimate end of whatever those primary drives are supposed to do in terms of promoting and sustaining material life, then it's all construct. But in that dismantling of the construct, maybe that's what the article really is capturing. Infidelity is contagious when you don't have morals. Infidelity is contagious when you don't have ethics. Infidelity is contagious not only in terms of sexual behavior, but as the article suggests when it comes to plagiarism. Uh, Those individuals who are unethical are likely not only to cheat on their spouse, lie, cheat, and steal, 
the core for me, and the most simplistic, again, parsimonious of ways, when it comes to human psychosocial or social behavior, character, virtue, absence thereof, of morals, values, it's not about the sex, even if it's a primary drive, because we've now moved it from that. When it comes to ethics, it's now about just the attitude we have. And I suppose, again, even with animals, there's an order to things. Maybe it has to be dominant submission. But we're much more advanced than most animals. That's a compliment. But can't we choose to do this with some better form of negotiation rather than dominance and submission? Can't we choose what works better for everybody rather than, again, holding fast to some sort of real primitive social order? Not saying that all animal life is primitive. Not saying that in being primitive, it's not complex. Not saying it doesn't have nuances of highest, that's comparative animal psychology. We study that in that way, or that's a field of study in that way, just so we don't be so dismissive that we're so superior that we can't learn anything or we can't appreciate or value other animal behaviors that may really be at our base. We've just kind of refined them such we've lost sight of them. But to be so dismissive of the evolution of them and the formation of them, it seems troublesome. And at great risk then of once we get out there, what are we going to do with all of that? How are we going to put it together? Are we going to be able to do it as elegantly as the evolutionary model suggests? Is it going to be done over time? centuries? Is it going to be done in a week, two days? Is it going to be done in a year, three years? You just can't dismantle everything and put it back together that way because we don't have the capacity ideologically to appreciate that except through some sort of context of social history. But if we remember history and then the social dimensions of it, the cultural dimensions of it, we should study that a bit so we'll understand how we got here. And if we're going to make refinements, they should probably be small modifications in small measures. But if you just say, all the rules are out the window, and then you create a culture like that, or as in this case, I don't think it's cultural in the sense that it's a small microcosm, subcultural sort of dimension of infidelity and cheating, you're going to probably get to the place where it too is going to start busting apart at the seams. You're going to find that somebody's going to resort back to maybe some more primitive ways of doing it. Dominant submission. If that's what you're going to move the standard to, dismissive of ethics, values, and morals, then it's just going to be animalistic. We shouldn't think differently. If you're going to remove the law, law enforcement, the rules that govern our society, then it's not going to make things better. It's just going to give people permission to be an animal. Why? Because even if they think their way is better, you may not. That's going to create conflict. And generally speaking, all of that is construct. You can't remove it because if you do, you're you're just removing or dismissing the quality aspect of it. 
We could all fight with each other. We could all kill one another. We could all steal from one another. We could lie to one another. We could cheat on one another. We could get what resources available any way that we can. We could be as selfish as we want. We could make it all about not only survival of self or species, but most importantly, survival of self to the exclusion of the species. And it just be one-sided, but it will end it in this way. Even men and women aren't going to be able to get along. And you can say, well, test tubes and artificial insemination. And maybe you don't even have to, a day will come when you won't even have to have a man or a woman. You'll just have to have an egg and a sperm. I don't know where that'll go. But wherever it goes, there'll be no social order to that except what we apply to it. And then it's going to be whoever's strong enough and whoever's dominant enough to impose that set of standards, that's who's going to win. And they're going to do it short order, but they're going to destroy everything so they can rebuild it in whatever dimension they want it to be. But that's terrorism. That's brainwashing. Um, That's evil. I think most people would consider it in that way evil. But it seems like that's what we're doing, is for the sake of the change, we're killing everything and then believing somehow there's implicitly in us morals or values and ethics. And maybe there is some inclination toward that, but it takes a long time for that to get reestablished. And what do we do in the meantime, and can we survive the meantime? I don't know. The article does not delve into maybe those type of thoughts about all of this. It just seems to suggest, though, if you're unethical, you're not only going to be unethical in sexual behavior, you're going to show that in all kinds of other behaviors. But that's what I meant by it's going to start coming apart at the seams, not only sexually, but male-female relationships, how society functions, how we gain the resources we need. But don't be surprised if we don't regress. And go back to what was. And maybe at that point we'll just have to redo it all. And it'll take time, of course, to fix it. But I don't know that that's most elegant. Even in psychological counseling. I don't destroy the person. Though they may be construct of a lot of dysfunction and disorder. Bad socialization, bad models, bad education. Modeling in the sense of... Social learning, education, in the sense of somebody telling them what is right, what's wrong, at least giving them some thesis to operate off of, even if they're going to go out and test it on their own. But if we don't do that, or if we do that in an amoral sort of way, an unethical sort of way, without values, then we're going to probably end up having a society that's not only a subculture, but culturally so, maybe it's not only a society as in limited to a philosophical Eastern-Western kind of division, but maybe it would be the whole world in that Eastern-Western division kind of way, and all will be is a bunch of animals wandering around in the wilderness, doing whatever we want, doing whatever seems right to us at the time. It's sort of like apocalyptic in that sense, but I do think there's a lot of reality to all of that eschatology, (laughs) that end of society, that um, kind of Orwellian dystopia, as we like to call it. It's true. 
(laughs) But we're doing it now. A little bit of a warning, but I wouldn't do that in psychological counseling. I'd support you where you were. I'd try to build on what you've got. I'd try to help you make minor corrections. I would not try to overhaul your personality in one or two sessions. It's silly. Uh, I know that ego death, the use of psychedelics, we talked about it on the podcast. It's not in and of itself evil. It's just what will that accomplish? And then you still have to teach something. Or we're just going to be in a state of anarchy and chaos. I I do believe that's true. We've never seen it, at least not in Western sort of terms, cultural terms. We're still, (laughs) I don't know if it's at the apex. We're kind of on the decline, but we've not seen it get to that. But there's plenty of examples of that historically with civilizations and cultures, Roman Empire, the Greeks, they're still there. But they're not in power and predominance, and they're really not very influential and certainly not very positively turned. Their cultures are not necessarily absent enhancing the world, but they're really not adding or contributing a lot at this particular moment in history and time. That doesn't mean that they never did. It doesn't mean that they aren't in some ways. I'm just saying that why not at least attempt to make what we got better rather than destroy everything we have and start from scratch and expect. It might not turn out as well, especially if you just try to do ego death and reprogram the person in three sessions. That won't work. It takes time. Personality is there for a reason. It's stabilizing. Psychosocial learning, developmental model theory is there, at least uh, as with paradigm, works. We accept it. We use it because it has benefit. Identity and ego are not evil. They stabilize us. We just have to be able to make some modifications. But you don't brainwash somebody to make them different and expect them to be better. We don't know what the brainwashing necessarily is going to do. You don't culturally destroy people or the people's cultures just for the sake of making them amenable or malleable. You don't deny them food. You don't deny them resource. You don't deny them the basics for survival, sex included in that. And then all of a sudden come in and say, well, let's do it this way. And expect it to be as elegant or better. You, you might find it better for you, but generally speaking, in any society, that that effect is, is uh, either evident or evidenced. It's for a few. They'll keep doing it the way that they always have done it. You'll be the one <laughs> that has to do it the way they want to. But you can't be completely removed from that. You can't overturn things that quickly. You can't destroy people without destroying everything that they're part of. And they are part of the sustainability of society. Otherwise, we'll just be like animals. So whether you're a believer in infidelity or not, it's part of your biological, instinctual sort of makeup. I read that article about men just to highlight that fact and then kind of get into that dominant submissive. You can't be too removed from that physiology. But if we've calibrated that in such a way that we're trying our best not to let that be the the only factor, 
or we don't want to remove that entirely because it may be to our evolutionary advantage that at least men want it bad enough that they're going to be persistent and maybe there'll come a day when repopulation after whatever it is that depopulates and maybe it'll be necessary. I don't know. But the values, the morals, the ethics fortify that. And you're usually, generally speaking, in that same sort of evolutionary term, not so much the physiological or, or even maybe with that psychological, but just the psychosocial, the psychological and social together, life isn't bad. There's some cultures that have it pretty good. We should bring everybody up to that standard rather than taking what is good and lessening it so that we can all begin again with some sort of fresh new start. That's not probably going to be as elegant or efficacious. But I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. But when folks come see me for psychological counseling, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to tell them they're crazy. I'm not going to tell them they're bad. I'm not going to moralize so much. I'm just going to understand the more general societal norms where they fit in with that. And then specifically, I'm going to work with them where they're at. But if there's something adaptive about the societal norms, if there's something adaptive about the culture, I'm not going to also throw the culture out. I'm just going to ask them to consider that. They're still welcome to do what they want. And should it then prove me wrong, that's fantastic. I'm wrong. But if I am right in that more sober, kind of balanced approach to it, then in the end, all of us are going to survive. And we'll make adjustments. And hopefully, it'll be a concerted effort where we all put our, give our input. We all put our heads together and decide what it is. And then try not to put too much of the onus or burden on everybody else so that we can somehow in a hypocritical way escape the same standard. You do that, but I'm going to do this. But I'm going to pretend like I'm doing that just so that you don't get mad at me enough to take me out and then somebody else replaces me. That's not dominant submission. That's animalistic. We (laughs) don't want that. I'm not going to encourage that in counseling. I'm not going to encourage that not only individually, I'm not going to encourage that in couples or relationship counseling. And certainly, if you try to do that in a couple's relationship sort of way, as with infidelity and monogamy, you've got the same peril. It's hard for me to convince your partner to trust you if you're going to go sleep around. Or if both of you agree to sleep around, then what are we going to base that trust on? If it's some sort of promise, what's the promise? Your biology is going to suggest, if you are somewhat regressive, (laughs) your biology is going to suggest if you live by that standard, then you're going to die by that standard, so to speak. And that's when folks typically come see me for help. Uh, And certainly be glad to help anybody that I could. But perchance that you would not necessarily reach out to me. Don't forget, Psychology Today has a directory of providers. You can find all the good help that you would need. The good vetted, credentialed help you would need at the Psychology Today directory. But should you want to call me, you can reach me at 304-523-WORD-9673. I put that, I post that with the podcast intro. Uh, stays there. Uh, tells a little bit about my background or my credential. Uh, But at the same time, though, uh, you don't have to call me. You don't have to visit the word site, thewordhouse.com. You can just 
come back for the next podcast. And what would that podcast be? <laughs> it would be Word with Dave Clay. And what are we going to talk about? Well, it could be infidelity. <laughs> but we're going to take a Psychology Today article, such as the one that we use today, and read it and then pontificate. Think about it. Try to bring some general application in a personal way to your life. That's what counseling is all about. We take the knowledge, data, and we try to make personal application. So, if you're interested in returning, please do so. But as I am always going to be inclined to say, want to say, as well as will then say, I do want you to have the best of not only health in general, but why not mental health, behavioral health? It's not only survival, let's make it the best life that it possibly can be. Until next time, thanks.